It's been a little bit since we talked about the human sexuality report. I wasn't quite sure whether we would get through the end of it in 2023, and it looks like we might have to go one week into 2024. We have statements 11 and 12 as well. Yeah, so 9 and 10. Our goal is to do 9 and 10 today, and then 11 and 12 next week. If we get ahead of schedule, we can move on to 11 today. I have those ready to roll if we need to. So I would like for us to start by opening our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. This is uh, a passage that I was required to memorize. And in the moment, oh man, this is a lot of work, but I'm so grateful that this passage has been in my mind and heart for years. Thank you to the RA, the Resident Assistant Training Program at Covenant College. Um, It's a great thing that they would require the resident assistants to memorize scripture. Colossians 3, I I don't remember how far I went down, maybe just through verse... um, 16 or 17, but uh, we're just going to read the first four verses today, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Um, yeah, let me just go ahead and read. These, these are God's words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I um, have seen many students leave high school and go away to college with a boyfriend or girlfriend back at home. They don't actually go away to college. Their bodies might be away at Ohio State, but their hearts and their minds are back in Summit County. It's what they think about. It's what they dream about. It's who they talk to. You know what I mean. They really exist somewhere else. I kind of get those vibes here from Colossians 3. It's this, this point that you... Yes, you are on earth, and you are not at all supposed to forsake your responsibilities where you are and what God has done for you, but you really live in heaven. Set your mind there. Seek the things that are up there. Remember that your life is hidden with Christ and God, for you have died. This old self, this earthly self, this fleshly self has died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Christ in God and Christ in Christ is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. And when Christ returns, this is really it's so specific here in verse four. It says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we no longer dwell as merely earthly dwellings. We exist as those who are in heaven at the right hand of God. And so what do we do? We set our minds on that. And this fits really well with our text this morning 
of how we are so quick to forget what's out of sight, out of sight, out of mind. We forget that we're in Christ. We forget what he's done. We forget who we truly are. We forget that our spiritual existence is our truest existence. And that has radical implications for our physical existence and how we interact in this world. And it puts great um, responsibility on our shoulders to live well here. But it reminds us that our spiritual life is our true life and it is with Christ and it will come and we will appear with him in glory. Statement nine here in the report has to do with identity. And it opens with these words, we affirm that the believer's most important identity is found in Christ. And it gives some references, Romans eight, which you see footnoted, um, footnote number 80. You know these verses, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are first and foremost Christ's. And then Ephesians 1, 4 and 7 as well. Um, I will not read those right now. But Christians ought to understand themselves, define themselves, and describe themselves in light of their union with Christ and their identity as regenerate, justified, holy children of God. So, who are you? What is your identity? You are in Christ. You belong to Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, what I really appreciate as we're going to continue to go through this is we're going to see that is not the same thing as squishing us all down into nobodies. In fact, what, what Christ does is he redeems the ones that he made us to be, and not, a, not two of us is the same. And so I think it's important for us as we go through this to realize, yes, we our most important identity is found in Christ. Our most lasting identity is found in Christ. Yet that does not eradicate or uh, erase, I think is a better word, that does not erase the uniqueness and the distinctiveness that God has made each of his people to be. There are some things, uh, as we'll get into, that are um, worth affirming as your identity alongside Christ. There are some things that are not worth affirming as your identity alongside Christ. But not ever should, should it be an option that we find anything to be equal with our identity with Christ or greater than our identity with Christ. So um, right here, Christians, this is the second sentence, second line. Christians ought to understand themselves. That means you need to think about yourself as one who belongs to Christ. You must define yourself as one who belongs to Christ. Look down at footnote number 83. Actually, footnote 83 is only tangential to the verse I want to look at. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, uh, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Um, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And, um, and so that's speaking of how we are to use our bodies, but that includes how we view ourselves, uh, how we define ourselves. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus. And then we should describe ourselves in light of our union with Christ. And then this... Um, committee has given us a few, ex not examples, um, a few specifics of how we should describe ourselves. We should describe ourselves as regenerate. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit has given us life. 
You should be excited to tell people that you have been born again, that the Holy Spirit has breathed life into dead bones, and that your hard heart has been made soft. And you should be excited to tell people next word that you are justified, that Jesus stands in your place. His righteousness is on your account and your sins have been paid for by him. And when God looks at you, he declares you righteous. That should be in the priority and the top of how you view yourself, as you understand yourself, define yourself and describe yourself. You should understand, define and describe yourself as a holy child of God. Like, hold on, I'm not holy, but in Christ you are. And, and he is making you more and more holy and more and more like Christ. So these are beautiful things. This is who we should always be um, reminding ourselves of who we are. Before we move into some of the, okay, but maybe sh- we shouldn't talk about these things. Let's, let's sit here for a minute on who we are in Christ. And um, I have another verse I'd like for us to go look at here, but I'd also love to hear from y'all. What are some... Um, some things that are you're thinking about right now, some discussion points or thoughts or questions. It seems as though we, at least in American culture, maybe true elsewhere as well, that we tend to identify ourselves with the criteria that the culture tells us we have to use mm-hmm. rather than what we know is best through the word and um, yeah the wrestling of wanting to be to fit in the culture that we're a part of that mm-hmm. seems to be so prevalent in high school years but honestly I don't think it changes one bit yeah. when we're older adults we just do a better job of covering it up yeah, or we can fake it, or mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, we still want yeah. to fit into what the culture perceives mm-hmm. as being successful or yeah. acceptable or popular or whatever it may be. And our criteria may change with the people that we surround ourselves by. Yeah, absolutely. But it still seems to be the same. Yeah. But if this is our first step to identify ourselves first in Christ and all with everything that that brings with it, it tends to dim everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But are we are we doing the opposite? Are we defining ourselves within the culture first and then we're adding Christ mm-hmm. to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the wrong order. Yeah, that's so helpful, especially for Christians who've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. It can you know can lose its excitement and we can just start, we can go back to looking in these, those old dead places to try to find that identity again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's easy, especially in, I think, today's context to only think of the gender identity issue as mm-hmm. the only way that we're, uh, as the only battle going on for, for Christian identity. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's always been there. It's just taking on different looks, whether it's, you know, through your, your career, your politics, like, <laughs> when you're in high school, what you're doing after school, whether it's a, a sport or something else. Mm-hmm. It, it, those are the ones that I think, those are the ones that sneak in mm-hmm. that do just as much damage in the long run as misaligning your, your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's easy to point to, I think, the gender and sexuality debate 
as like the oh obviously like those are the yeah. people that are misguided but yeah. there can be so many others where other things in your life where mm-hmm. you might be identifying yourself as be like oh but that's not this thing you know I'm not saying I'm a football player Christian but it's still like the <laughs> yeah. it can still take on the same yeah the same light mm-hmm. very good and I'm thinking of the gray areas in between things that are definite nationality people groups mm-hmm. I mean even gender you could argue that gender is definite mm-hmm. try to change but it's definite mm-hmm. right putting your identity in things that are definite as opposed to things that are um, well things that are simple they they mm-hmm. they change they morph they do you know what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not always choices because people will literally feel like they don't have a choice but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of like um, the choice of in our in our society for a long time. Women should they be stay at home moms or should they go to work? Those are not definite things, but a lot of people think they are. So the the lines get very gray. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if this one is in front of you right now. Oh, it is actually. Okay, no, actually, I'm going to read ahead to statement 11, which you don't have in front of you right now. Um, This statement says, We do not support the assumption that certain sensibilities and interests are necessarily aspects of a gay identity. Okay, so I want to go ahead and apply that to all identities. There are so many ways, and I think it is helpful for us to know that it is not one specific... Um, expression of manhood or womanhood that defines what manhood or or womanhood should be. So, um, or sexuality of any kind. So it's not necessarily the um, flannel-wearing lumberjack that makes a man a man, right? And it's not necessarily the girly girl makeup person that makes a girl a girl uh, or woman a woman. Um, So I think... um, that was that's kind of tangential to what you were just talking about, and I just think that is helpful for us to figure out. Okay, there are things that God has made a man to be and to do. There are things that God has made a woman to be and to do, but we cannot confuse that with cultural expectations and cultural definitions mm-hmm. of what those roles are. Even when some of those cultural expectations come with the word biblical in front of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. So, let's keep reading. This is line four. To juxtapose, so this is to basically take two things, put them side by side in um, contrast. To juxtapose identities rooted in sinful desires alongside the term Christian is inconsistent with biblical language and undermines the spiritual reality that we are new creations in Christ. Okay, so we spent the first five minutes here looking at Colossians 3, looking at 1 Corinthians 6, looking at the fact that our identity is found in Christ primarily. And I feel like if we were to go look at that and look, remind ourselves, okay, we set our minds on things that are above. We dwell with Christ at the right hand of God in heaven. And when he who is our life appears, we also will appear with him in glory. And we look at all that and say, and also I am a sex addict. 
well, that really taints how you view yourself. If that's how you define yourself or also I am an alcoholic or also I am um, a liar. Also, I am a cheater. Also, I am uh, a dishonest businessman. If you start to like say that's who I am, it starts to cast a shadow. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. It casts a shadow over it. Do you, do you really understand who you are in Christ? And so um, I think it's helpful for us to realize we can never define ourselves by our sins now that we are in Christ. We are new creations. We don't live according to the flesh. We live in the spirit. We are not sinners anymore. We are saints who do sin. But we have been made holy in Christ first and foremost. And that is who we are. That is our definition. And that is how we should identify ourselves. That is how we should understand ourselves, define and describe ourselves. Of course, there are caveats to this. And the caveats are coming. But I think we, if we don't start there, then the caveats start to become our definitions and our guiding rails. And we can't do that. Oh, it just reminds me of... Uh whether or not all my brothers and I were regenerate at the time, um, <laughs> my mom in our arguments and fighting and all of that growing up, uh, insisted that, uh, when you're bringing something against your brother, your brother is not a liar. Your brother lied. Mm. Um, and like you're talking about that mm-hmm. from the internal, how mm-hmm. I define myself, but mm-hmm. I think it applies just as well to mm-hmm. how we're seeking mm-hmm. to define other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic example of, um, so let's say you've gotten to know people here at Christ Press, uh, because you worship beside them and you take communion with them and you get to talk with them afterward and you eat with them on Wednesday nights and you've just really been encouraged by how the Lord is working in them and, and, and you've shared with them and they've been encouraged by you. And then you find out, oh, wait. So-and-so is like under legal trouble for cheating on taxes for the last 15 years. Um, this is not a case I know of in our church. Okay, so <laughs> um, I'm just picking out an example. Um, hopefully, and, and I think naturally, our response would be not to totally throw that person out, but to say, that's my brother or that's my sister who's struggling right now. And I think that there's a real benefit for us in getting to know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ first before we then label them as, oh, well, that's the person who struggles with blank. Should they be here? That's a totally different way to, to define them. And so you say you got to define yourself first and foremost in Christ. We also must define each other first and foremost in Christ. And that totally changes with how we interact. It changes how we interact with them. Is that the same point you're making? Thoughts on that before we get to the caveats? Yes. That reminds me of that section in the screw tape letters where he said you want the, the the devil wants Christians to be paying attention to the foibles of the people beside them in the pew instead of the preaching that's occurring. Mm. Because their neighbor who is a grumpy grocer um, or their other neighbor who makes a really loud squeaking sound with their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they know that they're Christians, and that is coloring their view of of Christ. And if the devil can make you pay attention to mm. the annoying bits, 
of the Christians mm-hmm. around you, um, it can both taint the the community and distract you from the actual uh, message that's being told. Yeah, that's, that's his analogies are so helpful, and that's that's a, another good one. Yeah, and that's why you see so many cha- uh, charges in the New Testament to the Christians in the early church to be patient with one another, to love one another, to be hospitable toward one another. And that is a constant, repeated charge to the Christians, and it needs to be ours too. Especially when we're dealing with issues of um, of sin and of brothers and sisters who are also trying to persevere to the end by the Spirit's help. Because <laughs> as soon as we start looking down at the person down the pew for you know, their shoe squeaking or their kid being loud, um, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, okay, I'm far worse than that. And yet I am welcomed into this, this feast of heaven. So uh, that we must extend that same forgiveness to one another, especially to those who are of the household of Christ, we're said, it's said in the New Testament. Do good to one another, especially to those who are of the household of God. Okay, nevertheless, here we go. <clears throat> Affirmations and now here the denials. Nevertheless, being honest about our sin struggles is important. While Christians should not identify with their sins so as to embrace it or seek to base their identity on it, Christians ought to acknowledge their sin in an effort to overcome it. I'm going to pause there. Um, if this were not the case then we would be a bunch of um, whitewashed tombs. Polished up, shiny shoes, smile on, Sunday best people who have no clue who the other people in the church are and who have no honest idea about what it means to bring openly um, with the, the loving care of believers around you to bring your sins to the cross and find forgiveness. We must do this together. And, and I know that our confession of sin that we do together, that we read together on Sunday mornings, can turn into a rote, um, mindless thing, but it's trying to get at this fact, something so much deeper, that we all need this same forgiveness. We are all sinners. And so when you're there quietly confessing your sins after we read the public confession, just remember Everyone else around you is confessing sins too. And we don't know what they are, but we praise the Lord that they're forgiven in Jesus. And same with our own sins. So we ought to acknowledge our sin. And and I'm not saying that you need to stand up on Sunday morning and say, hey church, I, I struggle with this, right? And I'm really fighting this right now. I'm not saying that's the proper place for that. But I think as the body of Christ, it is really helpful for us to have people that we can do that with. And, and I think... Um, that's something that we need to seek out, developing those relationships where we can then feel comfortable saying, all right, I need help bringing this to the cross if, if you've not been able to do that um, on your own. There's a difference between speaking about a phenomenological facet of a person's sin-stained reality. We're going to unpack that. Um, and employing the language of sinful desires as a personal identity marker. Okay, so um, phenomenological facet is basically saying this is not part and parcel of your essence. I can talk about something in me that is sin-stained and is a reality, um, or excuse me, is a, is a part of my sin-stained reality. Like It is true that I am sinful in this way, in this way, in this way. Um, and it's, there's a difference between 
that and then saying that I am a liar and a cheater and a sex addict, right? There's a difference between saying these are things that are part of my sin struggle, part of my sin nature, that I am surrendering to Christ versus saying that's, that makes me who I am. So I think what this is saying is you are a Christian and it is okay and it is necessary and it is good for us as believers to admit, all right, I struggle with this and this and this is a part of my, these are, this is a part of me being a broken, sinful human. Knowing that that will be killed and you will forever be defined in Christ. And that has even begun now. Versus saying, well, oh, I am this, and I am this, and I am this. Because if you are those things, then when Christ comes and demolishes all sin, you won't have anything to be defined by anymore. So we must define ourselves in Christ first. Are you, you have thoughts? Are you look, am I not clear? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just thinking how the, maybe one of the arguments that causes the most strife in this issue is not being willing to admit that certain behaviors are something. Mm-hmm. And that in a, of itself is creating this yeah. tension. Yeah, and that will come up in because Statement 11. They're celebrating it and they're proud of it. Yeah. And this is... Yeah. yeah. And they don't see it as sin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're not willing to, to really consider yeah. that that could even be an option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Yes, and that is a slightly different conversation, but we will get there um, by next Sunday, if not this Sunday. <laughs> so um, I really I, I put a box around the end of line five here. That is, we name our sins, but are not named by them. We name our sins, but are not named by them. They do not have power over us. They are realities, but they have been conquered. We are not defined by them. Our identity is in Christ. We are forgiven. We are holy. We name our sins, but we are not named by them. Moreover, we recognize, so here's uh, getting into some of those things, Deanna, that you were mentioning earlier about our nationality. So uh, we recognize that there are some secondary identities when not rooted in sinful desires. And Mindy, that gets to your point. Like we got to make sure that we're not rooting our identities uh, in sinful desires or struggles against the flesh. Uh, these secondary identities can be legitimately affirmed along with our primary identity as Christians. For example, the distinctions between male and female or between various nationalities and people groups. They are not eradicated in becoming Christians, but they serve to magnify the glory of God and his plan of salvation. Because you see before the throne, I, I wonder... Um, okay, yeah, look at that last footnote, um, 89. <clears throat> After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There are these identities, these nationalities, these languages that God has created and made us uh, with that are beautiful expressions of who our God is. And they will be celebrated for eternity. Well, they will be used to celebrate God for eternity. Yeah. But that's not me uh, saying like I'm an American. I'm a male. I'm a Christian. Not I'm a American Christian male, right? Uh, tell me the difference. So, like saying like yes, I'm a male. Yes, I'm an American. I'm Christian. That's what this is saying. But it's not saying to say that I should say 
I'm a, a male American Christian where I'm putting them all on the same line together. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, and then at that point, I'm putting them on, even though they yeah. Well, if you're going same. through customs in the Canada, you should probably say I'm American, right? Male. And you probably don't even need to put the Christian part in there, right? But if, like, <coughs> similar to the, the the in the statement above, putting a a a sinful act before Christian. Would that not be the same as trying to put these things on equal footings with our identity? Oh, I see. I see. Oh, Where absolutely. I can, still, I can still take, you know, pride in yes. the fact that I'm American, that I'm a male, yeah. and that I'm a Christian. But yeah, that's why they use the term secondary identities. Right? So these are not primary. These are not first and foremost. These do not make us primarily who we are. Right. Um, but they are parts of God's design, right. and good design, uh, that has made us who we are in various ways. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I think part of the problems that we get into with the secondary, mm-hmm. uh, we can say neutral or good identities, is when we start to insist that that is the way to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think uh, we see that a lot in expressions of worship, like what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of. Tagging on to that, I think specifically uh, where like one of the points uh, that I see that was when we did uh, move to America when I was 10, 9 or 10, uh, and we got into church, there were some aspects of their worship that I was completely like blindsided by mm-hmm. and couldn't relate to because they were specifically the church that we ended up going to. Uh, celebrated some aspects of of very American Christianity. Um, And uh, again, that's not necessarily true of uh, some or even many churches in America. There are some churches and some Christians who who do elevate that to a point. And so how do you as we go through um, this identity identification. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you kind of separate that out while we're talking about yeah. this? Yeah. No, I think I think that is identifying that problem is a huge first step um, that a lot of us need to take, and it's the fact that you are not, as you said earlier, a conservative or a liberal or a I don't even though whatever the other definition might be, who is also a Christian. Uh, and I think the church should not be a place for those who are first and foremost conservatives or Christians, or excuse me, or, or liberals. It should be first and foremost for those who are <laughs> Christians, right? This, the, the body of Christ is defined by those who are in Christ. And so I, y'all may remember when we went through the, um, the worship discussion, this was probably a year and a half ago, one of the things that we talked about was the fact that the worship service should not in any way alienate somebody who's from another country or from another culture. I really appreciated that, yeah. Like yeah. the 4th of July Christmas, or the 4th of July <laughs> Sunday service. Yeah. yeah, I've been to 4th of July church services, yeah. and they're not Christian. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's maybe being far too... Um, They're Christian, but injected with patriotism. It, yeah, it's it's a new type of Christianity, yeah. which, again, we have to be careful. If it's not the true gospel, is it a gospel at all? Mm-hmm. Um, now, in cases like that, I know my brothers and sisters who were doing those services, and, and their 
they are brothers and sisters. They yeah. are Christians. They are just misled, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in some of those ways. And that's not to say that there's not a proper place to celebrate being an American and praising the Lord for, for the nation that we do have, right? But church is not the place to do that. We can give thanks. I think that's appropriate. Um, but I, I think that if those things start to define who we are and what we do, that's, that's a problem. And so I think part of that, um, part of my own personal, um, as we're talking about these identity issues, is uh, you know, every once in a while going through and doing log out of my own eye analyses. Mm-hmm. So like, what, what am I identifying myself with? That may be rising to that level. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I, I say this uh, with, with sincerity. I don't want to be Presbyterian first. I, I think Presbyterianism is good. I think it's biblical. I think it's godly. I, I, I am all about it, but, but not primarily. It's, it is Christian first. And I think that um, I believe that for us to do that faithfully as a church means Presbyterianism, but that become that that cannot be first and foremost, or else we end up being the Pharisees, we end up being the religious leaders who have lost the heart of the law. So yes, thank you. We all we always need to be doing that, and and if we're not actively trying to do that, Satan is not going to tell us to to evaluate our hearts. He's going to try to keep hiding our our. Uh, Awareness. He wants us to fall into these other identities that seem really good. Parent, wife, husband, whatever it is that God is defining, whatever else you, these good things that God has given you, coach. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, these things too cannot become first and foremost who we are. We have a higher, longer-lasting, eternal identity. Okay. Thoughts on any of this? Oh, goodness. We are out of time. <laughs> I, was say, I think it's definitely easy to have the, uh, the, the, the secondary identity of your denomination to take primary. I think that's mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. I, don't know, I struggle with. I know it's mm-hmm. pretty prominent, too, yep. so... Yeah, yeah, and I think we can look at Faith Lutheran Church as a great example mm-hmm. of, oh, of yeah. folks who have really said, as long as you're preaching the gospel, we were on like we're helping you out, we're yeah. supporting you, like same team. They've been very um, specific about that, and we've been the recipients of that mm-hmm. gospel mindedness and that gospel identity on their part. So we praise the Lord for them and their faithfulness mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, it's very good. All right, so uh, let's wrap it up. We will not finish tonight. That is okay. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders that we belong to Jesus. And that means that when we have sought identities here on this earth from anything below Christ himself in heaven above, and when we have been so disappointed And when we have longed to find something that will last, it's been your spirit who has led us to Christ. Because we are wayward. That old hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. But we pray that we would never forget that we have been bought with price. That we are with Christ in heaven. 
and that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. Would that be how we view ourselves, how we view one another? And would it help us to see that even the sins that we struggle with do not define us, do not have power over us? And would it help us to treat one another with gospel grace and to remind ourselves of the gracious gospel that we have found in Jesus? Thank you for your spirit who is with us and helps us in all these ways when we don't even acknowledge that he is at work. We praise you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.